You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Once again, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, and you are listening to episode 70 of this podcast. Today is January 7th, 2021. And yesterday was a bit of a hard day, honestly. I was in a bit of a daze for the day. And last night, I was just kind of um, very very sober, very morose, very um, pensive, and today also I found myself just wondering what is the course laid out before us? What is coming next? What can we look forward to? But there was a lot in the news concerning the storming of the Capitol building, a lot of accusations and angry denunciations and a lot of condemnations. There were a lot of calls for banning President Trump for life from social media, making sure that he never can communicate with the public again. Michelle Obama called on big tech companies to ban Trump for life. Twitter and Facebook both suspended his accounts indefinitely. You had also General Mattis, former general, former secretary of defense, James Mattis saying that he thinks President Trump should be exiled. He should be moved away from this country, told to never come back again. And you had a lot of Republicans saying, this is not okay. This is not who we are. This is not what we're about. We don't do these things. We don't storm the Capitol building. We don't break the law. We don't damage property. We don't riot. We don't assault law enforcement officers. We don't act this way. And all of that pushed off to the side for just a little bit. I want to talk about what happened yesterday and also what happened today. And I want to get into where we're at right now as a people a little bit deeper from the perspective of one of these people that was in Washington, D.C. for these protests. Now, it's interesting to me, a number of people have highlighted the double standard in the media and from politicians on the left with regards to Black Lives Matter and Antifa protests, which very often over the past year turned into riots and the destruction of private property, the destruction of businesses, the destruction of a police precinct in Minneapolis and autonomous zones in American cities, which went on for weeks and months. You had federal agents holed up in federal buildings for weeks and months. You had buildings that belonged to the United States government or to the state governments or to the city governments of this country, which were besieged. They were attacked by Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And there was a incredible amount of patience and tolerance and hand-wringing on the left with regards to those actions. Republicans and conservatives were very uh, consistent in denouncing these things as lawless and as insurrectionist. And then you had yesterday happen. And 
all of the same people that had denounced the Black Lives Matter and Antifa lawlessness and insurrection and criminality, the rioting, the not peaceful protesting, also were denouncing what we saw in the storming of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. But those who had defended the Black Lives Matter and Antifa protests, which very often turned into riots and assaults on law enforcement and private citizens, 14 people died and lost their lives across the country over the course of the summer. And those people yesterday could not find language strong enough to denounce it. Now, this is interesting, not because we're saying, ah, they're hypocrites, so now anything goes. No, that's not the way this works. It's not interesting because Republicans are consistent, but it is interesting to me that one side polices its own and is quick to say, no, we don't act that way. This is not who we are. This is not who we're going to be. You can't do that. You're going to be held accountable for your actions here. And the other side only does so when it is convenient to do so. And when it is more convenient, more politically expedient to let the lawless ones have free reign in our cities, they do that. And so now we find ourselves in a predicament where a political party, which has shown partiality, rampant abuse of conservatives, in office and also in the general population of every kind, every kind of slander and ugly thing has been said about us. We are all deplorables. We are all racists. We're all these things. Those folks now have the keys to the kingdom, as it were. They have the halls of power. They have the House, the Senate, the White House, and they will have the Supreme Court if they pack it, which it looks like they probably will, or at least they're going to do their darndest too. And it's interesting because I drove to work this morning and I've taken in the past month to listening to two podcasts, one by Douglas Wilson called Blog and May Blog, the other by Al Mohler called The Briefing. And The Briefing is a daily podcast. Blog and May Blog is a little less frequent than that, and it's not always up to date with current events the day that those current events happen. But I like Blog and May Blog, and I have benefited from listening to both Doug Wilson and Al Mohler give commentary from a biblical, from a Christian worldview. I have benefited from their wisdom and their insight. But I found it interesting this morning as I'm driving to work and I'm listening to Al Mohler's perspective on what happened yesterday. And to give you the long and short of it, he laid the blame for what happened yesterday in D.C., the life lost, the people injured, law enforcement attacked, the Capitol building desecrated and invaded, laws broken, property destroyed. He blamed President Trump for that. And he also blamed those who support President Trump emphatically still. Now, it's a little bit difficult today with President Trump having all but conceded in word his speech saying that there will be a peaceful transfer of power to a new administration at the end of this month, his declaration that they were going to fight 
And they did fight, and they will continue trying to argue for greater transparency, greater accountability, greater diligence in the way that our elections are handled and conducted. Those who still support him cannot, I don't think, hope that we were going to have four more years anymore. If you were still holding out hope for some very, very long shot, some Hail Mary pass that would happen in the final hour, those hopes would seem to be at an end. And so here we are now, and if you supported President Trump yesterday, even in the midst of the chaos in the Capitol, you earned a rebuke of sorts, I think, from Al Mohler, or at least he thought so. And so Mr. Mohler, the esteemed, respectable Al Mohler, said that the cult of personality, which has been built up around President Trump, is a very, very dangerous thing. And he has a point. I cannot wholly disagree with him on that. However, I would ask the Honorable Mr. Moeller if the cult of personality is what is at the heart of this for those who still supported President Trump right up until he gave the speech saying that we are going to transition to a Biden presidency now. Is it cult of personality that explains why supporters were holding flags and wearing shirts and hats and things like that, which showed in word explicitly that they supported President Trump. Was that cult of personality necessarily? If they were storming the Capitol building, if they were on the steps of the Capitol building, if they were marching across the city in our nation's capital city, if they were doing so in open support of President Trump, instead of holding up flags and signs that say, I am for these issues, I'm for these principles in the abstract. Does that prove that we perhaps have erected idols for ourselves and made an idol out of President Trump? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. <laughs> Now, I would remind the listeners of something that I wrote a number of years ago. I believe I talked about it on this podcast a number of times. And that is that I called it in 2016 when I compared President Trump to George S. Patton. I compared President Trump to one of the most capable, brilliant generals in world history, certainly one of the most brilliant generals in American history, one of the men who we can thank for the victory over the Nazis in World War II. George S. Patton was a firebrand. He was rough around the edges. He was abrasive. He got into trouble with the media. Some people loved him, absolutely, and other people could not stand him because he was always opening his yap and saying things which were considered not politic. Eisenhower, meanwhile, was the commander, supreme commander of Allied forces, and he was a politician. He was a natural fit later to be our president because he was a political animal. He was very shrewd. He was very capable. He was very tactful. And Patton was saying some things at the close of World War II, which I believe 
actually got him assassinated. I don't believe, after reading Killing Patton by Martin Dugard and Bill O'Reilly, I don't believe that it was just some random accident that cost George S. Patton his life. Patton was calling for a continued war effort now that the Nazis were being mopped up and they were being defeated and they were done with that campaign, continuing on till Moscow because the Soviet Union was the next threat. He saw correctly that the Soviet Union, the communists, were going to try and take over the world and that that was going to be a major problem for America and for other countries that wanted to remain free. There were two mutually exclusive worldviews at stake in America and in the Soviet Union. And those played themselves out on the world stage and on the national stage and on the personal stage for decades through the Cold War. There were a lot of people that lost their lives in the cloak and dagger campaigns behind the scenes, in the proxy wars in places like Korea and Vietnam. You can blame the Soviet Union for having inspired the rise of communist China. China is still communist now because of the Soviet Union. And one wonders what would have happened if Patton had not been assassinated, if he had come back to the United States of America and gone on the speaking tour that he was planning to. I believe he was assassinated. I think there's good evidence that he was assassinated. People on all sides of World War II, here at home and abroad, wanted him gone. He was saying things which were inconvenient to the plans and purposes to bury this conflict and to move on and to start rebuilding the world afresh. And the problem with all of that was that that is evil. That is bad. That is wrong. It was murder. If anybody in this country was part of Patton's death, it might have seemed like it was in the national best interest at the time Better that one man should die than that a whole people should perish. And yet, it was evil what was done to him if, in fact, he was assassinated, which I believe he was. So also, no matter who all is a party to this and signs off on it and approves it and validates it and authenticates it, the fraud which was perpetrated in the 2020 election is indeed wrong. It is indeed an injustice. It is indeed corrupt. But there are a great many people on all sides of the political spectrum which are willing and content to approve of it because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. This is in the national security, national self-interest, best interest. This is in the world's best interest. And there are all kinds of rationalizations for why things played out the way that they did yesterday among those who were very respectable. But those who were desperate, however, did not feel that they had any other recourse left. And that's sad. That's a very sad state of affairs. I do not approve of what was done yesterday in the storming of the Capitol, the occupation of the Capitol, the assaulting of law enforcement, I do not approve of that. And the test for how I do not approve of that, even though I can sympathize with the desperation and the motives 
of those who participated. The proof that I do not approve of it at the end of the day, my final reason is if my children were telling me that they were going to go and do this thing, what counsel would I give them? If a friend of mine were telling me he was going to do this thing, she was going to do this thing, would I say, God bless you, that's very brave of you, good luck and Godspeed? Or would I say, listen, I care about you. This is a bad idea. This is going to hurt the cause that you're fighting for more than it helps it. And you're going to get hurt. And you're going to hurt this country by doing this. The clear answer in my mind is the latter. I would say, this is a bad idea. What you're doing is not good. This is not going to go down well for you or for your cause or for this country. And so we find ourselves asking, what were they supposed to do? And my answer to that is what we are supposed to do now. What we should be doing now is we should be looking to the Lord our God and putting our hope and trust in him and standing fast on principle and doing what is right. And doing what is right might involve civil disobedience. It might involve drawing a line in the sand and being non-compliant. In fact, I can just about guarantee that it's going to require that because we're going to be told to do things. We're going to be threatened for not doing things which go against our conscience, informed by God's word. We're going to be told that if we do not affirm certain things, if we do not kowtow to certain ideas and values and statements which are directly contradictory to what God's word says, then it will cost us. It might cost us our job. It might cost us our small business. It might cost us customers. It might cost us friendships. It might cost us our lives, depending on how free a reign the mob is allowed to have when the mob can be called a peaceful protest by those on the left. When something is done in the middle of the night and big tech will make sure that nobody knows who did it or that it happened, when the mainstream media will decide not to cover it, nobody will be able to hear you scream. And if it is unacceptable for you to defend yourself because comprehensive gun control, I'm sorry, common sense gun control, so-called, is enacted and the Second Amendment is abolished because the left does not believe that you have a right individually to own a firearm and defend yourself, you will be left to your own defenses. And unfortunately, that is the kind of thing that the protesters had in mind they had it in view yesterday when they stormed the Capitol. Now, there is talk among some of Antifa having infiltrated the Trump protest, the Save America protest, the Stop the Steal protest, whatever you want to call it. There is talk of Antifa having infiltrated, and I have no doubt that that happened and that that's what happened to some degree. But there's no reason to assume that Trump supporters would be above or capable of doing the things that we saw in video and in pictures happen in our nation's capital yesterday. There's no reason to assume that Trump supporters, as angry, as frustrated, as scared, as anxious, as worked up, as outraged as they are, would be above storming the Capitol and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody who stood in their way, even if it cost them their lives 
even if it landed them in prison. And the interesting thing about this is it's related to the suspicion that Antifa infiltrated this rally, but not in the way the people are thinking who are saying this was just Antifa. It's related in the sense that Trump supporters like myself and probably like you if you listen to this podcast regularly, watched for the past year as leftists burned American cities and assaulted law enforcement and assaulted private individuals and beat them unconscious in our streets and kicked the ever-loving out of them and hit them with things and shot them. We watched as this happened over and over and over again. And all the while, outlets like CNN came to tell us these were mostly peaceful protests. And also, politicians on the left came out to say early and often that it was justified, the anger that Americans had at being trodden on, trampled on, disenfranchised, abused, maligned, disrespected, dehumanized, all these things, that anger had to be expressed somehow. It was justified. It was reasonable. We had to give it some room to vent. No such kindness was afforded to Trump supporters yesterday. And yet, Trump supporters watched all of this for the past year. They've watched for many years now. I think you could say for eight years, the second term of Obama on through Trump's first and only term as president. They watched as they were characterized as deplorables and bitter clingers to their God and their religion and their guns. They watched as they were derided as racists, as having racism in their DNA. Outlets like PBS, which are funded by our tax dollars, run nonsense about how Little House on the Prairie perpetrates the myth of white self-sufficiency. And that, in fact, the Little House on the Prairie books need to be abolished and banned because of their negative stereotypes of African-Americans and Native Americans. We see that books like To Kill a Mockingbird have been banned. We see that statues of Abraham Lincoln have been torn down and Ulysses S. Grant have been defaced. We see that murals of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson have been painted over. Schools and colleges and streets named after our founding fathers have been renamed because all of these people were evil men and corrupt, and we need to erase them from all of our history books unless they're being represented the way that Howard Zinn would be proud of. And so Americans, like myself, probably like you too, have seen all of this with growing concern and wept, if not outwardly, at least on the inside, for this country, because this is such folly. And so we ask ourselves, what should we do now? And here is the answer. You trust in the Lord. You don't trust in me. You don't trust in the Republican establishment. You don't trust in the opposition leaders who are saying we should 
march on the Capitol again, and this time with feeling you don't trust in Biden for heaven's sakes. You don't trust yourself to Kamala Harris. We don't trust ourselves to these men and women who are compromised. We shouldn't even trust ourselves to ourselves, but we trust ourselves to the one who is faithful, and that is God. And we ask earnestly for wisdom to live in a way that honors God moving forward. I'm no legal expert, so I honestly could not tell you for an absolute fact that Vice President Pence could have legally done anything other than he did yesterday and in the wee hours of this morning. I cannot tell you for any certainty that our members of Congress in either the House or the Senate could have done more than they did. I cannot tell you for a fact that this was going to play out any other way than it did. All I can say for a fact is that God is still sovereign. God still sits on his throne. What he allows to happen, happens for his good pleasure, even if it's corrupt. He allows it to happen, and it might just be that at the end of this road is judgment, and if so, God is just, and so be it. I do not think that we should be like the prophet Jonah, who was commanded by God to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, or else it would be destroyed. What did Jonah do? He hopped in a boat, and he went the opposite direction, because he didn't like those Ninevites. He wanted them to get judgment. He wanted them to be destroyed. And when he preached repentance, and when the Ninevites did repent, he was upset with God because he knew that this was going to happen. He didn't want it to happen. He didn't want there to be repentance. He wanted judgment. I think that's half the reason we're in the situation that we're in right now is because you have a lot of Christians who have wanted persecution so that they can prove what great Christians they are. And all the while, they haven't been so willing, so ready to preach repentance to the culture around them, which needs to hear the gospel. The gospel is the good news, and the good news only makes sense if you have a very bad prognosis. If you're not sick with cancer, why would you sign up for chemotherapy? But it might just be, all of that notwithstanding, that God in his good pleasure has given all of us, the whole lot of us, those who were godless, those who were pretenders at faith, those of us who were genuine in our faith, but not as faithful as God is faithful, which is always the case until God calls us home. And even those of us who were faithful, God has ordained for all of us to go through a period of transition in which the game has changed. And now we have to play by a different set of rules and honor God all the same. I pray that however this all plays out in the coming days, weeks, and months, I am faithful as a husband, as a father, as a man, as a Christian. I pray that I am given wisdom and that you are too, and that God gives us grace where we deserve judgment as a nation. I do want this nation, all of the corruption notwithstanding, to repent. And maybe, just maybe, what is about to happen to our country and to the broader world will be a form of discipline. We get the consequences of our folly 
because this is folly, folks. It was folly for so many Americans to vote for Biden if, in fact, they did. It was also folly if there was fraud perpetrated on the scale that it was and those who knew better did nothing to stop it. It was also folly if the fraud once perpetrated and not prevented was not held accountable but was rather certified because that was the path of least resistance. All of these things are signs of corruption and they are an indictment on our character as a nation. I talked with my cousin Micah Hirschberger this morning on the drive to work and he told me in no uncertain terms he was in a very, very dark mood as far as the country because here we've been working for five years trying to talk the people around us, our family, our friends, off the cliff. And so very, very often we have been heartbroken to find that those who had been the most hearty in agreeing with us behind the scenes when there was no cost to them whatsoever were the first to abandon us, to ostracize us, to stop talking to us. They were the last to like, share, comment on, support what we were trying to do which they had said they agreed with. But when push came to shove, even as mild as things have been to this point, really, compared with how they're going to be, it was too much for them. They weren't up for it. And so we were left isolated. Except by a very, very few who looked at what we were doing, who read what we were doing, who heard what we were doing. And by God's grace, they were encouraged by it. They were helped by it. It gave them comfort and support. It built them up. It edified them. It gave them confidence in the good and in the true in a way that they needed in that moment. And they affirmed it. And they thanked us. I find, as I talk with my cousin Micah this morning, my associate, my ally in this fight, that we are in agreement that this may just be the death throes of what we have known our whole lives as the American Republic. And I feel as though I could weep because in a certain sense, I feel responsible as though I should have done more. I should have done it better, what I did do. I should have done it with greater skill. I should have done it with greater force, with greater humility, with greater confidence. I should have invested myself more in it. And yet, on the other hand, it is not for us to ensure the results. That is best left to God. It is for us to be faithful stewards of however much or little the Lord our God has entrusted to us. To some servants he gives a certain amount of talents, and to some he gives more, and to some he gives less. And our job is not to quibble about how many talents we got, and if there weren't enough, we bury them in a field. Our job is to invest. And if this is a down market, which it certainly seems to be, what do you do in a down market, folks? You buy. You buy low and you sell high. And so what we're going to do, even though we weep for our country, what we're going to do is we're going to press on and persevere and persist. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers worshipped or Yahweh. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the little piece of art that hangs on my wall in my bedroom beside my desk. It had hung in my grandparents' renew their house in Milton, Florida. And my grandma Renew passed away over the summer last year. And this came to me. And now it's mine. And so I put it in a place of honor where I'll remember it. And I remind myself intentionally because it is easy to forget. And yet we must not despair or grow weary in doing what is good. Now, you and I might not agree on what all should be done now, what all should have been done to this point, and that is, as may be, I hope and pray you will extend me grace if I am mistaken in what I think, because I know in part, and I prophesy in part, when we are made perfect, we will know perfectly, even as we are perfectly known. We see now as through a glass dimly, then we will see face to face. Give me some grace. I will ask the Lord to help me in my weakness to extend you grace as well so that I am not acting like some scared rabbit backed into a corner, some wild animal desperate. No, that doesn't honor the Lord our God. We are not given a spirit of timidity. We are given a spirit of boldness and a sound mind. And we best apply it. We need to be in God's word, testing everything against it, whether it is true or not, like the Bereans. We need to be led by the spirit because these are dark days and this is a spiritual condition. But as Jeremiah 29, 7 says, we seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile for in its welfare, we will find our welfare. I, for one, I'm going to sleep intentionally, on purpose, reminding myself that God is God. The Lord our God is God. Beside him is no other. What will be will be. I refuse to be afraid of man who can only kill the body and then has nothing more he can do to me. I will fear God because in that, the scriptures say, is safety. So that's all I've got for you today, but we'll see what tomorrow brings. His mercies are new every morning. I will pray for you. Please pray for me and my family. May the Lord grant us all wisdom and grace. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger, weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com. <laughs>